Hello, party people. It's hard to believe that we're here, but this is the last episode of season two of Law and Candor, the podcast wholly devoted to pursuing the legal technology revolution. I'm Rob, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Mariano, and we're thrilled to have you here to join us for this last episode. Um, before we jump into our guest speaker and topic, we wanted to bring you Sightings of Radical Brilliance, which if you're familiar with the podcast is where we pick a story out of the news or something else that shows noteworthy innovation or acts of sheer genius. And I think especially coming on the heels of our last podcast about the no deal Brexit, um, I think this one particularly makes sense. Yeah, this one, we found this on the Council of, uh, on Foreign Relations website. Um, it's reforming the U.S. approach to data protection and privacy. And this has been a long time coming, and we're finally in this. This is sort of that time where, where the U.S. is finally going to get around uh, privacy. I mean, we, we've all had clients in, in Europe that talks about, you know, not allowing their data to go to the U.S. because we don't believe in privacy here. But now, you know, with, with all the, the breaches and the hacks that are happening, um, we're starting to see these, these privacy laws being written on a state-by-state basis. Um, and this is talking, this article takes, uh, starts getting into whether or not we need a, a, a federal law uh, that applies to privacy. I, I think it, I mean, I think they make a good point. You know, I, I think the fact that, you know, you do, I mean, imagine for your business and if, you know, all 50 states come up with their sort of disparate versions of, of you know, data privacy, I mean, it's just going to be impossible to try to, you know, ad- adhere to all those different guidelines. You know, there needs to be some kind of, I think, at least a baseline that would come from the federal level of, you know, what we're trying to do, what kind of protections because it's already complicated. I mean, you've got things like HIPAA, you know, that that is very detailed, but it only applies to certain entities. You know, like Bill mentioned before, you've got, you know, the state laws that are starting to come up. I mean, this is just going to create an incredibly confusing environment for businesses. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's just different than Europe, right? In Europe, you have, yeah, the GDPR tried to solve the problem of having a, a sort of a comprehensive uh, approach to data privacy. Um, but when you... But each of the each country is a, is a sovereign state, and, and obviously they could have their own their own laws. Uh, but GDPR try to try to cure that a little bit or, or mitigate some of the confusion around that. But in the U.S., it's so much harder, right? Because you, yes, you're, you have independent states, all of which are allowed to have their laws. But if you don't have a federal law, how do you expect a company to do business in you know California and the state of Washington and New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania if they all have different laws and can constantly update those laws. I mean, how does a company do business in all of those states if there's an ever-evolving um, uh, minimum requirement that's needed? And I agree. And I, and I think, you know, you've got to have some kind of a law that covers all companies, you know, not just tech companies, not just medical device companies. There's got to be something comprehensive that at least provides some kind of a baseline. And I think, uh, you know, we're definitely going to see that. It's going to take a while to develop, but, you know, for sure in the near future. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where the, where the lobbyists go running on this stuff. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, corporations are going to try to keep this to a minimum liability standard um, in terms of what they have to do. Uh, but, you know, with all the breaches, they're, they're going to have a tough time with all the breaches and the hacks that are happening. Um, you know, they're going to have a really tough time making that argument that there should not be at least a baseline minimum standard of privacy that every uh, that if you want if you want to do business, you're going to have to meet, and uh, it'll be interesting. And I think it's a, it's about time for it because it, the, these breaches are happening every day. And I know we 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 talked 
uh, uh, several times on, on both seasons about different uh, hacks and breaches that occurred, and they're just getting worse. And now we're into the billions uh, of people that whose uh, information is compromised. Um, so it's uh, it's about time it happened. I'm uh, I'm glad they. I, I, this was a really interesting read on uh, uh, Council of Foreign Relations website. I encourage you guys to check it out. Um, I think it was who's the author Nuella O'Connor on Council for Foreign Relations. I just read the the book actually uh, by Richard Haas, who's the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. Completely unrelated to it. Plug that book. It's called A World in Disarray. A really good book. Anyway, let's get to the topic for today because it's an interesting one, and our guest speaker is someone um, that we uh, hold near and dear. Today we have a topic that's coming up more and more. Uh, we're starting to see it, and it's coming up from clients, and that's understanding and creating effective and best e-discovery practices. For G Suite, I mean, it's just coming up more and more, and 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 so we thought we'd we'd address it as a topic on the podcast, and to help us address it, we have a very very special guest, uh, Allison Shire, who is an integral member of our onboarding and impl- implementation team here at Lighthouse. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You got it. So give us a just a give the our our voluminous and just crazy mad audience uh, a little background into into uh, your role here and how you got into the industry. Of course. So I have been in the industry for about nine years. I started on the law firm side and after a couple years transitioned into the e-discovery provider side. And here at Lighthouse, as you mentioned, I'm on the onboarding and implementation team. So I really focus on working with our enterprise clients to build out their e-discovery programs, implement best practices, and also architect solutions to any kind of unique or complex e-discovery or data-related issues that they may face, which is um, part of how I became so well acquainted with uh, G Suite. Yeah, it's funny, Allison, like we've heard internally that you are the expert in all things G, Gmail, (laughs) Google, G Suite data. Can you maybe just set the stage a little bit and let us know, like, how did you become this expert? Yeah, absolutely. So we have had an office in the San Francisco Bay Area for a very, very long time. And so um, we came up really supporting a lot of technology companies, biotech firms, pharma companies in the Bay Area. And they seem to be some of the biggest users of G Suite, whether it's because they were a startup and kind of started using the most basic version or because they preferred that technology um, and decided to use it with Enterprise Vault. So as a result of that, we became very well acquainted with the Google uh, technology and have really worked over the past couple of years to hone our solutions to the most pressing challenges facing our clients who leverage that technology. Interesting. So it sounds like it started more as a niche technology suite. And and would you say that now you're starting to see more of a trend in our space? Absolutely. Starting to see more of a trend in that space. We're seeing companies transition to um, Google Vault and we're just seeing companies that were once small but started off with using Google Vault and Google Enterprise Suite really stick with it as they grow and expand. And Allison, could could you help our audience a little bit understand, like, what are some of the key differences between Gmail and, say, Outlook? 
Yeah. So one of the key differences, as you mentioned, is specifically around Gmail. So Gmail and Outlook have a couple key differences that are important to highlight. So when a document is copied to a folder in Outlook, let's say you have a couple folders, whether it's how you organize your different uh, cases that you're working on or how you flag things that are important. When you move something from your inbox into one of those folders, it creates an actual additional copy of that message within your PST. Outlook maintains a path to that that new folder where you store that email, etc. With Gmail, rather than emails being placed into multiple folders, an email only exists once um, and therefore is only exported once. And what Gmail users can do is apply something called labels to various messages. So this is kind of a difference in how the the mail is stored, but it also leads to some differences with the export format. So in Outlook, you're used to having a, a PST, and that's something that we, of course, process in a standard format. The Gmail export is called an Mbox, and an Mbox is accompanied by an XML, which is a load file, which has a lot of key metadata information that we need to maintain as we process and move to the downstream phases of e-discovery. And so that's kind of how Outlook and Gmail are a little bit different. Interesting. So what then would you say are the challenges around managing this data? Yeah, so there are a couple key challenges kind of upstream and downstream. So in processing, because we have that additional load file, there are some differences with respect to how we process that that data. Um, there are also some differences in what we need to do to maintain information like duplicate folder path. Now, the downstream implications are a little bit kind of different. So I think one of the key things to understand about Gmail has to do with how the header information is presented on the face of the document, right? The to, from, CC, BCC information, which is so valuable to how we search and review documents. So one of the key components of Gmail is that how the lower down thread components ultimately render recipient metadata. So if the three of us are having an email exchange, we've exchanged five emails and you're looking at the face of the document, the four lower down thread components will show the sender information, but not the recipient information. Now that is not a shortcoming in how the data was collected or processed. That just has to do with how the mail is stored in Google Vault. And so, of course, that is going to present some unique challenges around uh, privilege review, for example. So, Allison, you know, like a lot of the issues around, um, you know, Gmail and G Suite, I know we're on the collection side, but it sounds like there's also challenges on the review side. Could you talk about those a little bit? Yeah. And so one of the key ways that we're addressing some of the recipient metadata really has to do with using technology that's at our fingertips, such as email threading and near duplicate analysis. Uh, that's going to be really key when it comes to reviewing Gmail. And so what we've done is we've, of course, tested a lot of different email thread and near duplicate analysis tools on the market to see which were um, doing the best job presently at threading those messages. And once we did that, we started to figure out, okay, how can we use the, the information that threading is giving us along with some proprietary workflows to arm attorneys who are reviewing this data 
with information about who likely received a particular email or component part of the email where on the face of the document, we're not readily seeing who received that message. And that can be important for a number of issues. Obviously, privilege review and making sure we account for any attorneys on any particular email. Um, And that can also be really important when trying to demonstrate Uh, that somebody did receive a message, you know, when you're in court and you want to show that somebody actually affirmatively received a message, we need to find the component part of that thread that reflects it. And these email threading uh, technologies can really be a very important key to managing the downstream review. Yeah, that's really kind of a big deal, you know, in, in review especially. And I think just because most people are more familiar with Outlook and they're just kind of used to seeing, you know, kind of very plainly who sent or received a message. This is something you've really got to be able to get your head around. It sounds like you can make a big mistake if you don't do this right. Absolutely. You can miss uh, key key privileged folks who received emails. Um, and obviously, it's very important to counsel that they're really accounting for that on behalf of their clients. So it's really important, of course, to work together with counsel and the, and the end client to make sure we are capturing all of the metadata that we can aggregate with the technologies that we have available today, since it's not out of the box. I'm curious, Allison, has anybody, I know that we've, we've talked about Microsoft a lot on this podcast and we talked about like the feedback loop and getting back to Microsoft and uh, they're constantly changing things to help business uh, do business, uh, uh, you know, for, back of, for lack of a better phrase. It, it, is any of this getting back to Google? Have you heard of anybody going back to Google and saying like this is just making it very tough on legal and everything that they have to do to support a, uh, a, a, a conscientious discovery protocol? It is. um, And we have seen some incremental changes out of Google over the course of time and starting to address some of these issues. Uh, One, for example, is auto draft. So the way that uh, Google will kind of on a second to second level save emails as you draft them, you know, Google is often actually storing those for a period of time. And so originally when some of our clients were exporting the inbox, their mail stores, they were coming with a lot of auto drafts. And so we've seen our clients kind of work with Google to address that issue for the purposes of discovery um, amongst many others. So we certainly see our enterprise clients reporting their issues back to Google and and uh, working with Google from a roadmap perspective to try and kind of figure out how to address some of the more nuanced issues over time. Great, Allison. And could maybe could you give us some examples of some of those outstanding challenges? Yeah, so one example is that G Suite users can choose to collaborate by sharing links to files stored in Google Drive instead of attaching a file to an email like you're used to seeing with Outlook. And so as a result of that, during the course of review, Council may stumble upon emails with links to an attachment embedded that they are not able to access without having their client go back to the well and try and pull that document or find the relevant version of that document during that period of time. So that is something that has continued to be kind of a more manual process that is kind of challenging for our clients when the volume of links are are really voluminous. So that is something that we uh, all, I think, are continuing to try and work with Google on and innovate around. Interesting. And what about what about things like tar and analytics that you know we see being used more and more? Is there anything specific to G Suite that that impacts those? 
So we have done a fair amount of, of testing around this um, to see if there's anything that would present any issues around implementing a TAR workflow, whether it be TAR 1.0 or 2.0. And we have not found any significant issues with leveraging those technologies. In fact, we did a proof of concept with one of our clients that had undergone a kind of a traditional linear human review on a case. And we went back with that same outside counsel and implemented a TAR 1.0 workflow over that. And the results were great, if not a little bit better than the than the human review. So from an analytics perspective, a TAR perspective, there is nothing that has shown us that Google data outputs will, will struggle uh, in that context. It's interesting. I, I, you know, this is it's this has been uh, uh, informative to say the least. I think the fact that this is coming up more and more um, you know, I, I, if I could sum up, I think the fact that, it, you know, even with our experience with it, it sounds like it started as sort of a niche uh, uh, technology offering in, in the Silicon Valley region. Uh, but now it's starting to really become a trend and we're starting to see it more and more. It sounds like if you're not careful, you can run into some problems, either whether it's processing or downstream and review. Um, and you should really be working with a vendor that understands how to process this stuff and understands the workflows to make sure that you capture everything you need to capture from a discovery perspective. And and it also sounds like, you know, from a TAR perspective, that, that there's really no issues there. But I mean, if I, it, I guess that what I'm taking out of this is you have to have some experience with data coming out of the G Suite in order to make sure you're not missing anything and in order in order to make sure that you're giving it to the attorneys in a format where they're getting everything they need. That's absolutely right, Bill. I mean, it's really important that we talk to counsel upfront about what some of the challenges are that we face with these, with these data types and data outputs, uh, just to make sure that they're prepared for review, as are any contract attorneys. And then I think that in addition to implementing workflows that help address some of these, there still some outstanding challenges that we haven't addressed yet. And so it's also important that we're talking to counsel about those just to make sure they're in the best position to advocate when with their clients um, or on behalf of their clients when they are negotiating an ESI protocol um, or you know, going into court and wanting to present some key documents. So those are really important topics that we need to cover with counsel when we have a client that has a, is, is a Google Enterprise user. It's great. I, I, I really, we, we really appreciate you being on. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm happy to say this or not, but you've continued the streak of our guests being more intelligent than the hosts. Uh, <laughs> so thank you very, very much for joining. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, I think that we'll probably keep an eye on this space and we'll probably ask to have you back if we're renewed for a third season. Thanks so much, Allison. Thanks so much. It's not often you see a perfect streak like that, but uh, thanks again, Allison. <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, guys.